Thank you for joining us today. We believe that the word of God is designed to make a mark in your life that is not easily erased. And right now, God is sharing to us about relationships and how our relationships should not be easily broken. I believe this word of God is going to do just that. Strengthen your relationships so they're not easily broken and you can move forward with a group of people that are supporting what God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Well, I'm glad to be here with you this Wednesday, um, Wednesday night. I, I just left the, um, the playground. You know, I have a, a five-year-old, and earlier today I had a conversation with her. I told her, I said, listen, uh, daddy's got to teach tonight. So I need you to, you know, give daddy some space to, to prepare. And after I finished giving her my spiel, she said, are we going to the park today? <laughs> she learned how to bribe her brother already. Now, you take me to the park, you have whatever you want. So I had to, she did her part. She did a good job. She got herself dressed. She did a good job. So I had to come through and take her to the park. Amen. Amen. So if you're blessed after this message, be sure to thank Mackenzie on your way. <laughs> on your way out. Amen. Have you been enjoying the message series, Not Easily Broken? Yeah, we've been talking about relationships. Yes, Not Easily Broken. I'm going to continue in that, that, from that topic, um, just teach from the topic, Not Easily Broken. And the last time that we were here, um, I think we read about a whole chapter, right? I was trying to help somebody with I know y'all got it on your New Year's resolutions list to read more of the Bible, so I'm going to help you with that. Tonight we're going to read Ruth, by the whole book of Ruth. It's just four chapters, don't look at me like that, it's not that long. It's a quick read. It's a good read too. It reads just like a story, like a narrative. It's actually like an autobiography of the life of Ruth. So we'll be able to go through it and, and pull some things out. I think there's some things in there that really point to where we are in bettering our relationships. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, the book of Ruth was more than likely written by the prophet, the priest, the judge of Israel, Samuel. You remember Samuel? Yeah, and it's fitting that Samuel will write this book, not only because Samuel, Samuel was the last judge of Israel, Remember, Samuel was the, the priest and the prophet before Israel begged for a king, right? And then you know the story of Sam. You know, Samuel had his mom to credit for a lot of what he was able to do in ministry. And even beyond that, I mean, it was his mom, Hannah, who prayed, and it was her prayers that got him in there and got him out of there, right? She was the one who dedicated her son to God, to the temple. Amen. <clears throat> so, so Samuel wrote this book, documented this history, and I think is very, very significant. Ruth is a prophetic book. You know, it was written many, 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 many years ago and many years before Jesus. But as you read the, the, the account of Ruth, you see Jesus all in it. And I know it's placed in the Old Testament. It's actually 
um, you know, placed in a, in a part of the Bible they consider, they call it the, the Ketuvim. It's the historic books, it's the writings, right? The, 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 the poetry letters, and, and I told you it's an autobiography. You know, Ruth is found in that group of books. Um, and I know we often relate, you know, grace to the New Testament and, and Jesus and Jesus' finished works, but as we go through the book of Ruth, you'll see grace all throughout the book of Ruth. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. So you ready? Yeah, chapter one. All right. Now, as we as we look at this, I want you to have some things in in mind. One of the things I want you to think about is, you know, what makes for relationships to fit into the category not easily broken? When we think about relationships that fit that category, what makes a relationship fit in that space of not easily broken. As we go through the story of Ruth and we see the relationships that she has with these people that are present in her life, I think we'll be able to clearly answer that question. At least I hope so. That's my plan, that we can answer that question. What makes for relationships that fit into the category not easily broken? And, you know, just to start out, you know, it is the... It's the story. It's the story of us. It's the the narrative. We know and we've heard it many times before that there's nothing that can replace a long term relationship. Right. And there's nothing that can replace the value of a long term relationships relationship. And one of the reasons is, is because the story can't be replaced. The narrative, the story. I mean, have you you got some people that you been through some stuff with? Can't nothing replace that. Right. You got some people who are with you today who were with you way back when, right? There's nothing that can replace that. You have people in your life today that knew, that know you today, but they knew, they also knew you when. (laughs) There's value there. There's value in those types of relationships, and there's nothing that can, nothing that can replace that value. So prayerfully, as we go through this series of messages, one of the things that I pray to get out of it and one of the things that I pray to communicate is that we need to value those relationships. We need to value those people who have been with us. We need to value the people who remember us when. We need to value those relationships, the good ones and the bad ones, the comfortable ones and the ones that aren't so comfortable. We need to value it all because there's something to gain in all of it. Amen. There's something to gain in all of it. Amen. Let's start at verse number one. Reading from the Amplified, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. They're talking about in the land of Judah. Judah was of the tribes of Israel, right? And there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem of Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Now, Moab was not one of the nations in Israel. Moab. Y'all remember that name, Moab? Moab was actually the son, initially before it became a nation, Moab was one of the sons of Lot. You remember Lot? That should give you some indication right there what Moab was about. If you remember Lot and his foolishness, yeah, the, the, the apple don't fall far from the tree. 
So he had, he had a son named Moab. Now, just to make things more Jerry Springer for you, <laughs> Moab was the son of Lot and his oldest daughter. Mm-hmm. Remember, Lot came out of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? He was rescued before it was destroyed. And instead of just sticking with his uncles, you know, Lot had this idea that I still want to have my own. So the Bible says that he went up into this mountain region. His wife is dead. All the people that they knew are dead. The only people left are him and his daughters. So his daughters thought that it would be a good idea in order to continue the family going. Let's get daddy drunk. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. That's real Jerry, Jerry Springer. It can't even go there, right? But they did that, and Moab was one of the products of that relationship. So Moab becomes a nation. You can imagine what them people were like. They were not godly people. Well, they were not Jehovah God people. They had many gods that they served, and they did many things in order to satisfy or appease their gods. They even had human sacrifices and things like that in order to satisfy and please appease their gods. So that's the type of place Moab is, right? So you got to know that things must have been pretty bad in Judah if this man left his hometown and decided to go to Moab. Things were pretty bad back home. Okay, so verse two says the man's name was Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi and his two sons were named Malan and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem of Judah. They went to the country of Moab and continued there. But Elimelech, who Naomi's husband, Naomi's husband died and she was left with her two sons and the two sons took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, not Oprah, (laughs) Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They dwelt there about 10 years. They dwelt there about 10 years. Now, here is Elimelech leading his whole family into Moab. He's there for a while, and Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi with her two sons. Now, just part of the custom of the the time, now it's increasingly important for Naomi to get her two boys married because her sons also provide her provision, right? I'm I'm just trying to make the picture real plain so we understand that it was not normal circumstances that these people, this family from Judah, would be in Moab. And it's not normal circumstances that these Israelites, this Israelite woman would allow her sons to marry Moabite women. That was not customary then. The situation in Judah must have been pretty severe because it does at this point, it doesn't even look like they have plans on going back. 
It says that they were there for 10 years, right? Now, it could be that Orpah and Ruth's family in Moab were friendly to the Israelite family. That's what built this relationship. That's what gave them the opportunity to decide that, yes, okay for our, my sons to marry your daughters. You understand that? I mean, have you ever been in a new place? It's good. You know, you go to a new place and you at least want somebody to befriend you, right? So that's probably what happened. They get into this new place and not in the whole, you know, they new faces on the block, new kids on the block, new neighborhood, and none of the neighbors paying them no attention. But then one day, here comes Oprah and Ruth, you know, their families come and befriend them. And because of this relationship, Naomi thought it would be safe to allow her sons to marry these young girls. So they're, they're, they're familiar with each other. And as, as Orpah and Ruth are now wedded to Naomi's sons, they're becoming familiar with Naomi and her family. Not only are they becoming, with, becoming familiar with them as people, but they're also learning their custom. They're also learning their way. They're also learning their belief. Just because these Israelites were in Moab, don't get it twisted. Don't think that they took off who they were Right. They carried that with them. Right. So Ruth and Orpah are in this home, this Israelite home, this home of people who serve Jehovah God. Right. And they're learning their customs. I mean, think about it. It had to be something going on there. They had to. I mean, just in the process of getting to know people, you get to know their way. You're looking, you're watching, get to know their customs. Right. And it'll make more sense as we look at verse number five. Verse number five says, and Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. So the woman, Naomi, was bereft of her two sons and her husband. Now, at this point, Naomi decides to go back home. Even though she's been gone for years, she trusts that she has a home to go back to. Okay? She trusts that she has a home to go back back to. You know, she trusts that the the time that she spent away from her family hasn't strained the relationship so much that she can't go back home. Ain't it good to have a family to go back to? And right here, this was a good point. This is a good place to, to make a point, you know, for, 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 for parents or for whoever. When you consider your family, you should do things in a way that no matter what they do, no matter how time, how much time they spend away from you, Home should still be home. Home should still be home. And home should still be that place where a person feels like it's still safe. No matter what I do out here, I know I can still find some refuge back at home. I'm glad that Naomi knew she had a home to go back to. Time and distance shouldn't put so much strain on relationships that your children, your family members, your loved ones feel like they can't come back home. It's good to have a home to come back to. So, so Naomi says, you know, even though I've been gone for a while, I've been away for a while, I trust that my relatives are holding things down and I have a home to come back to. Okay? 
Verse 6 says, so she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she heard that the famine was over. She gets word that the famine is over. So she left the place where she was, her two daughters-in-law with her, and they started on the way back to Judah. At this point, it's probable that Naomi's daughters-in-laws traveled with her as a courtesy to see her on her way. It hadn't yet been decided that they were going to go the distance, but just as a common courtesy to her and to her deceased sons, we'll go with you a certain ways to be sure that you're safe. I imagine that they got so far out that now you can see you can see your hometown and that's a good place to stop. Right. So they stopped there and look at what verse eight says. It says, but Naomi said to her daughters in law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Say not easily broken. It's not that easy. It's not that easy. Naomi was at a low point. She was at a low point in her life. She had been at a low point for several years now with the passing of her husband and then the passing of her two sons. I mean, this journey started off in a low point because she's leaving her hometown because of a famine. So Naomi was at a low point in Judah. Her hometown was at a low point and had been at a low point for a while. But look at verse number nine. Verse nine says, The Lord grant that you may find home and rest, each one in the house of her husband. This is Naomi's words to her daughters-in-law. Then Naomi kissed them and they wept aloud. They had real relationship bonds, right, over the years, all that they've been through. It's interesting how, how, how relationships, relationships that are forged in fire are strong. Relationships, when, you, when you've been there and went through something with somebody, them some strong relationships. I ain't so quick to walk away from people who was with me when it was down, right? Right? So that's, what, that's what's happening right now. That's what we see right now. You know, this, is, this ain't this, it, it's not going to be that easy. You're just not going to tell me to just walk away. All that we've been through together, all we've seen together. You know, I was with you when your husband died. You know, I was loving you in your household with your sons when they passed away. I feel for you. We've built a bond now. So this relationship is not easily broken. And then on top of that, you know, Naomi's name means pleasant. I imagine that she was a pleasant woman. I imagine that she was graceful. I imagine that she probably embodied that, that whole motherly idea. She was the mama bear of her house, cared for everybody who came in the house, right? And these two young ladies, Ruth and Orpah, have watched her for this amount of time. They have genuine affection, genuine affection for her, okay? This is a real relationship. Bonds are being built, right? In verse 10, you, you know something was real there because in verse 10 they said, uh-uh, no, we will return with you. Now, if they would have just stopped right there, I could understand them saying, you know, we're going back with you because we spent time with you. We know you to be a good woman. We know you to be a godly woman. We know you to be a fair woman. And we've fallen in love with you. We have a bond with you. But they didn't just stop right there and say, we're going back with you. But they added something. They said, not only are we going back with you, but we're going back with you to your people. Now, they had never met her people. They've never been in Judah. 
So I have to wonder, you know, I get my imagination going when I'm reading the scripture, and I'm, I'm wondering, I'm trying to actually put myself in the shoes, I hope they ain't high heel shoes, but in the shoes of these ladies, and actually I want to feel what they feel. I got to understand, why would they make the choice to leave their hometown to go to a place that they don't know? A place that all they know about this place, I mean, the introduction was that there's a famine in this place. But they're ready to pick up everything and leave with this lady to her hometown. So I imagine that in those years that they spent with Naomi, I imagine the years that they spent in her house, they're able to observe her godliness. Naomi did not have a closet relationship with God. Naomi wasn't a, 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 a secret follower of Jehovah. Ruth and Orpah witnessed something good. They witnessed something good enough to make them decide that, you know what? All we've heard about your hometown, all we've heard about the place where people serve Jehovah is good enough for us to leave this place. Oh, there's a witness right there. How many people watching your life? How many people watch your life and will come to the same conclusion that there's something good enough right there to let to make me leave what I know right here? Naomi had a real witness. Naomi had a real witness. I mean, these folks ain't going down the street. If you were to look at a map of where Moab was and where Israel was, They ain't going down the street. In the middle of Moab and and, in Israel was a lake so big that later they called it a sea. Moab was on the other side. Israel was way up here. So they about to take a walk. But they saw that there's something worth it. They valued what they saw in Naomi. They valued what they saw in Naomi. They valued what they saw in Naomi, and they realized that there's something that you have that I need. See, I hope for a life for myself, and what I need in order to get to that destination, I don't have it here. But I've watched you these past 10 years, and I see something in you that says to me that you got what I need. So I'm willing to uproot from where I am, I'm willing to leave my lifestyle. I'm, leaving to le- I'm willing to leave all that's familiar to go to a place that's foreign on the account of your witness. Amen. Just on your witness. How many of us have a witness like that? They must have seen something. In verse 11, it says, but Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Will you you really go with me? I don't have nothing to offer you. My sons are gone and I ain't going to have no more sons no time soon. (laughs) And even if it were possible for me to do so, would you wait for them to become grown men? No, it's in your best interest that I send you away. And that says something about the character of Naomi right there, right? I mean, here she is looking out for them. She's still looking for what's in the best interest of them. And it says something, too, about relationships. 
She could have twisted their arm and got them to go. Right. But relationships formed in obligation, relationships initiated in obligations are really soft forms of slavery. There really are no forced friendships. There really are no forced friendships. So the people in your life that you've manipulated to stay. It's just a facade of a friendship. When push comes to shove. You'll see the truth. Right. But. The real gift. Is a gift given freely. Naomi is bold enough to give them the opportunity to leave. She's confident enough. She has enough, um, you know, self-esteem to not make them stay. She has enough self-esteem to allow them the freedom to leave. She gives them the freedom to walk away. Naomi makes it known that I don't have anything to offer. You are free to make this decision on your own accord. Verse 12 says, turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it is far more bitter for me than for you that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Verse 14 says, then they wept aloud again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. You've got to be free enough and secure enough with yourself to offer people the opportunity to walk away. Because the truth is, they're probably never with you in the first place. Those who never really are with you will take advantage of the opportunity. A lot can be said, though. A lot can be said about those who remain. When the opportunity is given to walk away and you still have some left, a lot can be said to those who remain. If I had time, I'd talk a lot about Gideon. You remember Gideon? Remember Gideon and his 300? You know how many Gideon started with? I think it was 30,000. 30,000. And the first thing that Gideon was led to do Say to these people, everybody who's scared, everybody who ain't with it for real, y'all go ahead and go home. And if I'm not mistaken, about 25,000 left at that. See, if you give folk the opportunity to walk away, if you stop pulling them back and begging them back and holding on and manipulating the state, you see what you really got. Because after them folk left Gideon, the next thing God told him to do was, now you need to check to see who amongst these who you got left are really with it, are really down for you. I mean, when the battle is raging, you need to know who's going to fight. So he gave him a little test to see who was ready for war. And out of those, only 300 remained. But the 300 that remained got the job done. I don't know about you. I'm not that old, but I'm a little older than I used to be. And I've, I've, I've arrived at this place in my life that the only people I really want around me are the people who are really down. I mean, if you ain't really about this life, you go ahead. Feel free to do what you're doing. 
Because I need some people who about the mission. Because I know time is winding down. The truth is time is winding down. So I really can only afford to have people with me who really with me. So I ain't afraid to do some stuff every now and then just to see who really with me. Jesus did the same thing. Jesus always threw stuff out there just to see who was really with him. It wasn't no mistake Jesus stood before that crowd and said, you know what you got to do next? Eat my blood and drink my flesh. Well, eat, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it says a great number walked away from him. Out of all those following, the only ones that remained were the 12. But he knew who was with him because he knew his time was winding down. And I think it's valuable to know who's really with you. Don't be so insecure that you're willing to do things just to keep people around you. Be secure enough in God to do what you need to know who's really with you. I heard a wise man say that when you raise the standards, the flakes fall off. Every now and then you just got to raise the standards to see who really with me now? Who's really with me? Because the truth, truth be told, anybody who you manipulate to stay, that ain't no strong bond. That's a relationship that's easily broken. But the ones who remain, those are relationships that's not easily broken. Naomi said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Oh, my goodness. And Ruth said, y'all ready to hear what Ruth said? I'm going to warn you right now. Ruth, 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 take it there. She's going to challenge you. She's going to challenge you to take it to another level. You ready? Ruth said, urge me not to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. You got any roof friends in your life? You need some roof friends in your life. You might need to be a roof friend to somebody else. Ruth was a Moabitess. She was a woman from Moab. With her husband now dead, she had no obligation to Naomi. She had no reason to stay. She had no obligation to Naomi's people. She had no obligation to Naomi's God. But Ruth became a Jew. Ruth became a Hebrew. Ruth became a Yahweh worshiper or Jehovah worshiper. Not by blood, but by decision. Oh, glory to God. Not by blood, but by decision. Decision brought about by conviction. See, this might, might sound real crude. I like to boil love down to this simple thing. Love is a decision. It's a decision. I like to be able to look at the people 
in my life who I love and I like to be able to say to them, I love you, not because of what you've done, not because of what I'm expecting you to do, not because of what you didn't do. I love you because I chose to. And ain't nothing you could do about that. And that's what Ruth is declaring at this moment. She's deciding something, but her decision is birthed from conviction. Her decision is birthed from convictions. Can I tell you something about my day earlier today? You know, after I, you know, I spent time at home and I was preparing the message and then I finally got to the point where I had to go out and run some errands and I stopped by Home Depot because as I was preparing this message, I had this great illustration in mind. I was like, I'm going to go to Home Depot and I'm going to get some stuff to illustrate this message. And this right here, this conviction, this word conviction, can you say conviction? conviction. This was going to be my first chain because as we talk about things not being easily broken, I know the scripture talks about a threefold cord, and the image that you get is a rope. I think they just had a rope because they didn't have chains. If they would have had chains back then, they would have talked about chains because that's even stronger, right? So I was going to go purchase a chain, and my first chain actually did. I did purchase the chain. I just left it in my car, so it's out there, so I'm just going to have to talk y'all through this illustration. My first chain is conviction because the first thing that you need, the first ingredient in relationships that are not easily broken is conviction. It's conviction. It's, I'm not talking about the conviction that you think of when you go before a court and the judge where you are convicted guilty. I'm talking about the conviction that comes from a firmly held belief, firmly held belief, that type of conviction. The conviction where you just decide. I've just decided. I've just come to a play. I've come to a place where I have enough resolve and I've decided. I've looked at the options. I've looked at the facts. I've looked at the possibilities. I've even, you know, imagined this off in the future. And I've come to a place where I've decided. That's where Ruth is right now. She came to a place where she has conviction. She's con she's convinced enough to decide that I'm going to stay with you, your people are now my people. Your God is now my God. I've decided I have no other obligation to do this, but I've made a decision. And I love this. And I love that it's in the book of Ruth because it speaks to us today. Maybe you forgot that you was a Gentile. Maybe you forgot that you were you're, you're, you were you weren't initially you were you had no obligation to serve the God of the Jews. But I believe that most of us in this room came to a point where we decided that that's what I want to do. And this right here marks a real turning, turning point in the life of Ruth. She's cutting the cord. She's severing ties with her old life. And in this moment, she's decided on new. Everything that was familiar to me, I'm walking away from it. I've decided. I have conviction. I'm making a decision to walk with you. Conviction, not defined as judgment, but a firmly held belief, a firmly held belief or opinion. The reason some of our relationships fail is because there was never, they were never born in conviction. They didn't come from a place of conviction. They were never firmly held in the first place. The reason that some people have walked away from you and the reason that you've walked away from some people is because it didn't start. The, the relationship wasn't born in conviction. 
The reason that you walk away from the things that you say that you were resolved to do is because you didn't make that initial decision to do it with conviction. You didn't have a firmly held grip on what you said that you believed. Ruth makes a decision from this place of conviction. Some people are holding on to you loosely. As soon as another opportunity presents itself, they'll let go and grab something else. Some people hold on to you loosely. As soon as your relationship hits a bump, they'll lose their grip. But I'm glad that God has placed people in my life who have held on firmly. And I'm glad that God has placed people in my life who I hold on to firmly. Amen. Glory to God. Look to the person next to you and say, Hold me. (laughs) Glory to God. I'm glad some people got a hold on me. I'm glad I got some people in my life who can look me in the face and say, I got a hold on you. No matter how, where you go, what you do, what you don't do, I got a hold on you. No matter how deep down you go, I got a hold on you. I ain't letting go that easy. I don't care what you do. Don't care what you say. I got a hold on you. Because my decision to hold on to you wasn't started with you in the first place. Can I borrow the words of Pastor Brian? I made a contract with God to hold you. My decision to hold you wasn't birthed with you in the first place. But I'm going to hold on to you because he holds on to me. And I know that his grace is just a reflection of the grace that I'm to show you. So I'm going to hold on. Glory to God. What caused Ruth to form such a conviction? She ain't never been to church. I mean, she had never been to Judah. For the past several years, she watched members of the church. What made her make such a decision? What gave her such conviction? She never been to church. But for the past several years, she was able to watch people who had been to church and she's not watching them in church. She was all in their business. They share in the same bathroom, cooking in the same kitchen, sleeping next to each other. But after watching their life, after watching the church outside the church, she decides to give her life to the church. I need a witness in here. (laughs) She watched Naomi. She learned from observation. She needed to value what Naomi valued in order to make it to a better end. Glory to God. Verse 18 says, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Our words are the framework that make our actions convincing. Naomi was convinced Ruth had made up her mind. Amen. Verse 19 says, So they both went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred up about them and said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? 
Don't let situations get so bad. Don't let circumstances become so bad in your life that it paints a negative picture of your future. Because your present circumstance does not determine your real circumstance. Your present situation does not define your real situation. Amen. Amen. So Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now that's gotten good news. Because Naomi and her family left in famine, but she's returning in harvest. Amen. Oh, goodness. See, while they left, someone had to stay and prepare for harvest. Now, y'all didn't hear what I said. Naomi and her family left because of famine. But while they left, somebody stayed home to prepare for harvest. We got to be thankful for the people who, while we taking a walk, they still holding down things at home. Or maybe you feel like you're that person. You know, your spouse or your friend or whoever, your business partner or whoever, you know, they've taken a walk when you're still holding things down. But there's got to be somebody who prepares for harvest. Sometimes in relationships, there's one person doing the work for harvest while the other person is taking a walk. But thank God and the person that when you come back, there was something for you to come back to. Amen. Naomi was able to come back to something. Glory to God. Look at chapter two. Flip the page, swipe the page, do what you need to do. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Yeah, I heard you. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and gleam among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. And verse three says, and Ruth went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to stop at the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the f- of the family of Elimelech. Elimelech, remember, was Naomi's husband. Ruth, who's a Moabitess, is seeking provision at the hands of Boaz. Boaz is a judge and prince of Israel. <clears throat> now, the name Boaz means to be strong. There was even a saying where people would say, in the strength of Boaz. Boaz was also the name of a pillar that held up the temple that Solomon built. It was remembered as being that strong, that type of strength. Every family needs a Boaz. Everybody in their relationships, needs a pillar that will hold things up. Amen? Boaz was the son of Rahab. Remember Rahab? Mm-hmm. Rahab, who was remembered as a prostitute. Rahab, who lived in Jericho. Rahab, who gave housing to the Israelite spies before they came in and took Jericho. That Rahab. Boaz was her son, Rahab, who was not a Jew by blood. See, I I think, and you guys are familiar with the story, I think the reason that Boaz took on to Ruth 
is because Ruth reminded him of Rahab. Ruth, like Rahab, was not a Jew, but who left everything that she knew because she saw a better life in the church. I think Boaz looked at Ruth and heard her story and it reminded him of mama. Y'all know how it is. Everybody looking for somebody like mama, right? But this also speaks to the grace of God, because here we have these two women who were outsiders, two women who didn't belong. Do you understand that uh, it was law? Deuteronomy 23 and verse 3 says, and it specifies Moab. Let no person from Moab, not even their descendants, come among the community of the people of God. That was law. But here comes Ruth finding refuge with her Boaz. I like Boaz because Boaz gives us an image of Jesus, a savior, a redeemer, someone who is willing to put it all up for people who otherwise would not deserve it. So here Boaz is. See, grace always, grace always, see, the law will keep you out, but grace always makes room. Grace provides a place, amen? Grace provided a place. So here is Ruth finding refuge with Boaz, and that's good news. Because grace grants. Grace grants access. Grace grants access. Grace grants access to those who would otherwise not have access. Grace provides for those who would otherwise be undeserving of the provision. Grace makes room for those who don't even deserve room to be made. Thank God for grace. Amen. Thank God for grace making room. But this is this is something that that I've been impressed to do as we go through these messages. See, I I don't want us to only look and see how I can receive. I don't want to just I don't want us to stay in that place where I'm looking to receive from God. And it's good that God will give me strength that my relationships are not easily broken and God empowers me and God made me a hero. But I also want us to see in this that you're empowered to empower others. So it's not about the grace that you're receiving. But what about the grace that you're giving? I mean, I don't think I don't think that this example was placed here just so we can look forward to what we can receive from Jesus. But I think that Boaz gives us an example of what we should be giving to other people. How much grace have you granted? How much grace is in your relationships? How much room have you given people who normally would not deserve it? Grace allowed room for Rahab. Grace allowed room for Ruth. Grace allowed room for you. Grace allowed room for me. But how much grace do we give? How much grace do we provide in our relationships? See, the links in the chain that's not easily broken. Conviction is one and grace is another. Conviction and grace together make relationships 
that are not easily broken. There's value in having both of them together. I want you to understand, too, what value Ruth is displaying in deciding to stay connected to Naomi. Because there's value in who you're connected with. you got to understand that there's value in who you connect with. There's value in who you connect with. There's value in who you connect with because that person is already connected to some other stuff. And at the same time, we got to be watchful of who we connect with because that person is already connected to some other stuff. So I need to be particular about who I connect with. I need to investigate to be sure that what they're connected with is what I want to be connected with. Because when you talk about links in a chain that's not easily broken, when you connect, you connect it. You connect it with everything, all they stuff, all they people. But Ruth was wise enough to connect with Naomi because Naomi was connected with some things of value. Amen. You only, we, you only want to be connected with people who are connected to people who share the same values as you. In order to walk with Naomi, Ruth had to disconnect from Moab. Amen. When, when Ruth connected with Naomi, she also connected with God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Look at verse number 12. Well, let's see. Let's see. Chapter, chapter 2, verse 12. It says, the Lord recompense you for what you have done. This is now Boaz talking to Ruth. The Lord recompense you for what you have done, and the Lord pay you back for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That's the grace of God that allowed this Moabite woman to enter into the assembly of Israel. Amen. Now, there's a bunch of good right there in chapter two. I encourage you to to read it at your own time. I want you to skip down to verse 20. Verse 20, it says, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord who has not ceased his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said to her, the man is a near relative of ours, one who has the right to redeem us. And this is something that you've got to understand. It's interesting to me that they had built into their systems ways to preserve the family. What Naomi is telling Ruth, the man that, you, that you've gone to see, the man whose eyes you found favor in, he has a right to claim us. He has a right to provide for us. And I want to point out to us that it's good that in their systems they had ways to, prever- to preserve the family. I know we don't like this word, but they had rules. Say rules. They had rules, but they had rules that governed the family so that relationships were not easily broken. See, what this rule said was that even if you mess up, even if you're messed up, you can't mess up enough. Even if you were messed up, you can't mess up the bond because we have rules for that. Even if you walked away, the door is open. You free to walk away. And even if you do, even if you leave, you can't sever the chain 
formed by the conviction that we have and the grace that we display. We have rules for that. I don't have a law to govern you, but I have a contract with him and my relationship with him governs my relationship with you. See, in our relationship with him, there should be some rules. There should be a way that we govern ourselves and govern ourselves in relationships so that no matter what happens in these relationships, I got a rule for that. I got a law called love that no matter what you do in this relationship, because I'm obligated myself to him, I have rules to show me how to keep this relationship together. It's good to have some systems in place that safeguards your relationships from life. Because you're in relationship with people. And people do stupid things. But these rules can hedge you from stupidity. I'm going to leave that one alone, amen. But I'm glad that God has some rules in place that hedge me and protect me from my own stupidity. I'm glad that God is not a man that he shall lie. So when he said that he loved me, he loves me. No matter what I do, no matter where I go, he's already decided. I'm glad that there's some safeguards in place. I'm trying to speed up and end for y'all. Look at chapter three. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to Ruth, my daughter, shall I not seek rest? Or a home for you, that you may prosper. How often do our actions promote the prosperity of other people? There's a lot in chapter 3. I encourage you to read it. Look at verse 10. He said, this is Boaz. Boaz says to Ruth, blessed be you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have made this last loving kindness greater than the former. For you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Ladies, there's a little wisdom right there. <laughs> Is what you're thirsty for actually satisfying you? Are you wrecking relationships looking for provision from sources who weren't made to provide? Boaz points out Ruth's wisdom. Ruth was wise enough to seek provision from a good source. Amen. Verse 11 says, and now, my daughter, fear not, for you, you will do for I will do for you all you require. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of strength, worth, bravery and capability. The last chain, the last chain or the last links in the chain that make for or that make for relationships not easily broken is a promise. Right here, Boaz makes a promise. He makes a promise to Ruth. You got conviction, you have grace, and you have a promise. Remember, Boaz is a messianic figure. He makes a promise to an outsider. Boaz makes a promise to those who don't deserve it. In our relationship, the thing that gives us hope, the thing that keeps us moving forward, even when it's difficult, is the promise we've received from a promise keeper. 
seeing relationships, whether it be in business relationships or husband and wife relationships or parent and child relationship, there should be a promise that motivates you. Even though today is dark, we've been promised that tomorrow will be bright. And that alone, if that's all we got to move forward on, we'll use it. There's a promise that makes a relationship not easily broken. See, I'm, I'm here to the end. I'm here to the end because we're in pursuit of a promise. There's something that God showed us. So I'm willing to do whatever needs to be done today so I can arrive at that same manifestation of the promise. Conviction, grace, and a promise. Boaz makes a promise to Ruth. He tells her, I will do for you all that you require. Verse 13 says, remain tonight and in the morning. If he will see, there was another relative that had rights to Ruth and rights to Naomi. And and verse 13, it says, in the morning, if this other man will perform for you the part of a kinsman, let him do it. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman for you, then as the Lord lives, I will do the part of a kinsman for you. Lie down until the morning. See, and the good news in that is that Boaz does what's necessary to be the rightful husband. Y'all say, "Mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Boaz did what was necessary to be the lawful protector. Jesus did what was necessary to be the rightful husband. Jesus did what was necessary to be the rightful protector. Because I don't need my words hindered on a contingency. I don't need to be I don't I don't want to be in a position. I'm not going to put myself in a position where I fall short of my promise over some technicality. So I'm going to be responsible enough to do everything necessary so that I'm the rightful owner. I'm the rightful responsible party. I have a right to provide for you because I did all that was necessary to stand in this place. Thank God Jesus did it the right way. My goodness. Thank God that we can't miss out on technicalities. Jesus did what was necessary. I don't know. 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 I think you should shout greater than that about that. That is good news that my life wasn't left subject to some technicality. Jesus did it thoroughly. He did a full job to pay for my salvation. He did a complete job to be in a position to ransom me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So what example does that give us? I got to take the same responsibility. I got to be responsible for my words and I got to be responsible for my actions. I'm going to make full action so that my word, my words of promise stand. Right. Because our words are the framework for our actions. Right. So I got to make sure that if I say it, I got to back the actions up so that what I said comes true. Amen. And then verse 18, if you look at verse 18, it says, Naomi encourages Ruth with these words. She says that this man will not rest until these words are fulfilled today. Today. Say today. I'm so glad that he has some urgency about it. I'm so glad that I wasn't left in the winds, but as soon as he could, he did what was needed for my redemption. I'm so glad I'm not still waiting. Glory to God. 
I'm so glad I'm not still waiting on a savior. I'm not still waiting on deliverance. I'm so glad that he took some urgency and did what was needed so that today, everything that he died for, I got a right to. That's good news to me. Glory to God. Last chapter. Go to chapter four. Also, Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Milan, I have bought to be my wife. This is Boaz telling the the leaders of, of the city. I have bought to be my wife to restore the name of the dead to his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his birthplace. You are witnesses this day. Boaz explains his purpose. Boaz explains his motivation. See, the purpose of the promise is not just about what I get out of it. Boaz says that this wasn't just about me, but the result of this promise lasts for generations. Jesus did what he did to restore a broken relationship. Jesus did what he did so that the inheritance can go back to the rightful heirs. Boaz wasn't just interested in what he could gain. But Boaz did what he did so that all that was available, the whole inheritance, can be restored back to the rightful heirs. Glory to God. Verse 13 says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord caused her to conceive and she bore a son. Our relationship bound by conviction and grace is intended to produce an inheritance a promise for future generations. What makes our bond strong today, what makes the relationships that we have strong today, what makes our relationships today not easily broken is that what we do today doesn't end today. And what we've committed to today doesn't end today. It's not just about what we are here to receive, but we do what we do today to produce an inheritance for tomorrow. See, what happened with Boaz and Ruth wasn't just about them and their family, but Boaz had a baby. And the baby's name was Obed. And Obed had a baby. And that baby's name was Jesse. And Jesse had a baby. And that baby's name was David. And some years down the road, David had a baby, and we know his name to be Jesus. Because what Boaz did with Ruth wasn't just about them and their generation. But what they did in their relationship was to benefit many, 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 many generations to come. That's the strength of our relationships today. What we're doing today isn't just about us. And the reason that our relationships aren't easily broken, the reason I ain't going to walk away from you for some foolishness is because this just ain't about us. But our children and their children and their children for generations to come going to reap from what we sow together. Amen. Amen. Stand on your feet. Give God some praise. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening today. We believe that the word of God has the power to change our lives. And I just want you to know that we are praying for you. We're believing for you, for your relationships to be stronger than ever and be stable. This is the year of stability. And we're believing God that everything we touch will be strengthened. 